Okay, kia ora koutou, uh, listeners out in podcast. Uh, we're back again. It's uh, us here at Is This For Credits? Yes. I'm Peter Jury, joined by Luke McFarlane. And we're lucky today we've got a guest uh, all the way from overseas joining us in. Joining us, uh, kia ora, Hamish Bennett. Kia ora, boat. Kia ora, kia ora korua. Lovely to, lovely to be here. Um, now, Hamish, you've lived the high life playing rugby for Fielding Old Boys Rugby, but these days you're living in Rarotonga and touring the world promoting your latest film. Where did it go wrong for you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it has been all downhill since um, since Fielding Old Boys, mate. I think, um, yeah, I think possibly probably the probably the one area that um, that, I, that that that's been missing is 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 Peter Jury outside me um, in that backline. <laughs> <laughs> just just running that running that direct line outside me that, that's that's what i've been missing mm. i think um you know i think there's a lot of metaphors that could be taken from that mate. <laughs> <laughs> hey uh great to have you here hamish joining us uh if you're out there uh we're recording this sort of early november and hamish's film uproar is sort of just done it's doing its run here in new zealand cinemas and uproar is a coming of age story but a young moldy man sort of set against the historical backdrop of the 1981 Springbok tour. Before we get to that film, right, what, just want to give us an overview of your, sort of your history. Because you grew up up north, far north, then moved around a bit, and then you've wound up making films, and you're teaching for a bit, right? So how did you wind up doing what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, that, that's, that has been a kind of a kind of a roundabout thing. Like, I, um, I mean, I... After, after, yeah, I did live up north. I think, um, you know, after going to uni in Palmerston North, I, I became a teacher. Uh, I, I've been teaching for 23 years. Like, I still teach part-time now. Um, I'm here in uh, Rarotonga at the moment. Um, we've been here for the last couple of years with my whanau. I'm still teaching a couple of days a week. But, yeah, like, I think it was actually around around about the time that I stopped playing rugby that I, it was probably about 27, 28, I kind of felt a little bit at a loss Um outside of outside of teaching um i like i love teaching and i get i get a huge amount of value out of it uh but there's probably just that creative side of me that there was there's probably a little bit of a gap there and and i felt like i'd be you know since i wasn't playing rugby anymore it'd be quite nice to have a crack at writing um i'd always been into movies i'd always been into writing and so yeah it just started kind of um you know having a bit of a, a crack at writing short scripts i i i actually my, my first job was um writing for Shortland Street. I, um, I, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote five episodes, five episodes of Shortland Street. And when I say I wrote them, um, basically every episode that, that, that they showed, um, had been completely rewritten. So anything that I, anything I delivered to them, um, they basically just edited, edited really heavily. Um, I like, I, I, I totally get it because I think, um, I mean, one of the one of the reasons why I wasn't wasn't good was because I didn't watch Shortland Street, um, <laughs> and, and I think probably the other thing was, um, you know, like a, I think you know that a whole idea of writing what you know is a, it's a pretty pretty important one when you're early on getting into writing, and I didn't know that world well, but it certainly gave me a taste for it, and so I started writing a, a you know I made a made a short film called The Dump, and and then kind of um, made another one after that, and then it kind of uh, things kind of progressed from there, yeah. Uh, awesome, awesome. Um, so in this podcast, we sort of talk to novelists <coughs> who staff at National Library, um, and it's all, I guess, has that 
landscape of English in schools and teaching and storytelling. But um, you're the first person who's a filmmaker. And there's some obviously differences between novel and film. But what is it about... Because um, it's hell of a lot easier to write a novel than it is down the journey of film where it might or might not happen for a whole lot of variables outside of your control. And sorry, novelists, I know that sounds really dismissive saying, oh, it's really easy to write a novel. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You might have a great script and it just still doesn't go anywhere for a whole lot of reasons outside of your control. So why movies? Yeah, well, like I said, I think, um, you know, like I've, I've always been into movies. Like I think most of the stories that I think of are the stories that you kind of imagine taking place on a screen. And so I think it, I think the, the approach that I have towards creativity kind of lends itself to that kind of medium, I guess. But I also think, you know, like just, just to pull things back for the, um, the novelists out there, um, Peter, I think um, I also think that I probably I, I I don't I feel that my strengths probably lie in telling stories um, through through the medium of film. I, I don't feel I've got the, um, the, the the capabilities to tell a tell a story through a novel very well. I think I, I probably don't have the language for it. Um, I think I think I think my my um, my strengths probably lie in um, you know in, in developing characters and um, and trying to convey things without necessarily doing it through what's going on inside the head through telling the story visually um yeah which is which is a kind of a a kind of a, a, a kind of a cop-out way of saying that um i feel i'm probably not uh capable enough to, to or, or, or strong enough a writer to, to write a novel um yeah so, so i think um i think probably all of those things lined up makes me um, probably more 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 um you know keener uh, better better at writing for film yeah. Get us suited towards film. So those characters of Bruce and, and Ross and Bellbird are similar to your language skills that we're saying. I, I, I do think so, yeah. Like I, I yeah. do I, as much as I, I talk a lot about those guys, like I, I think that that is like I, I am drawn to those people who struggle in some ways to communicate how they're feeling through words. And I think the people that I that I grew up around um, in Northland, I lived in a rural area. I think you know, you know, me and you, Peter. We, we know a lot of people in, in the rugby kind of community who don't necessarily uh, aren't necessarily fantastic with words, aren't able to communicate in that way. But you know, find other ways of doing that, and and like that, that's that's something I'm drawn to because it's the world that I know, and um, I, I that that's 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 something that that's always been appealing to me. Those kinds of characters. So I think, yeah, that that's absolutely a part of. Um, you know the appeal of 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 telling stories um, about people like that. I think I, I remember reading somewhere that directors directors only really tell one story kind of all their lives. It's just kind of um, they're, they're, there's one thing that they kind of end up focusing on. And I do know for me, it's often the the people that I'm most attracted to are the ones who are kind of who sit on the outer sit on the outskirts. Like they they aren't necessarily the people who who get the kudos who who are who are people who kind of gravitate to or, or, or Get a lot of attention but wonderful in their own way um but they're, they're for whatever reason kind of sit, sit they're outliers they're misfits in some way um that other people i guess I've, I've always wanted to celebrate on film yeah easy you're describing luke mcfarland perfectly uh, awkward, right. awkward on the fringe <laughs> poor communicator look <laughs> at <in> these boxes <laughs> oh we'll, we'll chat later luke let's uh let's, <laughs> let's see, if we get a, see if we can get a story out of here um, yeah. I know it's 
I've seen the short film. I remember when you did the dump. And for those who haven't seen it listening, um, spoiler alert, but it's set at a dump. And then um, Bellbird sort of set on a um, dairy farm. Eh? It's sort of just a, a farm, again, not being rude, relatively nondescript, very ordinary sort of, like a dump's a really ordinary New Zealand setting. A farm's a really ordinary New Zealand setting. There's nothing magnificent about those. Mm. But that's probably part of the charm of it, that it's just an, it's so ordinary. Yeah, and like I said, it's humble, but it's a humble beauty, you know? Like I think it's it's finding the beauty in the kind of the ordinary. It's it's That's exactly kind of what I feel you, you kind of, you, you look for. And I think because I've grown up around people like that, um, you you know you, you spend time with people you you, you see the beauty in them and um, again they're, they're the people that I, I kind of um, I gravitate to and that I want to tell stories about yeah was well, a reality there right there, there absolutely is I mean like the dump kind of stemmed out of I had a I had a um, he still actually works there a mate who works at the dump that we filmed at and um, you know he, he's working in a role that doesn't get a lot of um, doesn't come with a lot of bells and whistles he, he's probably working for minimum wage, but he takes a huge amount of pride in his work. And um, you know how they have like Christmas, Christmas at the park in Auckland. Um, he, he would have Christmas in the dump. And so he, he'd invite people around to, to have a have a beer at his place and in his little shipping container at, at the dump. And I remember going there for, for his Christmas in the dump. And um, I just thought, you yeah, know, like I, I, these are the kinds of people I'd like to kind of see. Um, yeah. That's kind of where, that's where the story kind of began, I guess. And it's kind of, you know, my next short film, Ross and Beth, um, which is about a farming couple, and um, Bellbird was kind of a combination of both of those short films. Ross and Beth was based on my childhood neighbours growing up, who, again, were people who, um, you know, they, they aren't, weren't, you know, they're, they're, they're an old farming couple who didn't have a lot of nice things to say to each other, but underneath all of that, kind of that banter, um, you know, there was a deep loyalty and a deep love for each other. And, uh, again, it was, it was, it was kind of, I suppose celebrating people like that and showcasing um, that 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 type of love because uh, you don't necessarily see you know that kind of thing on 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 screen. Um, yeah. So it's an opportunity to do that, I guess. And when I think of, um, I guess, New Zealand film, New Zealand novels, it's easy to gravitate to the big settings, the big places, you know, the beautiful locations. Um, what I like is that it's neither of those things in your films. It's almost the uh, it's almost the opposite of that mm. real grassroots sort of thing, and mm. it's maybe something we don't really see a lot of. We tend to see a very sanitized or quasi romantic look at New Zealand. Yeah, no, no, I, I think I think you're right. Like I think it's um, you know it's like I, again probably just the 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 fact that you know. I, I think it's also it's taking advantage of the strengths of, of this country because I think the idea of telling a story which is full of you know explosions and and, and um, car chases and things like that there's a place for those kinds of stories but it's certainly not the um, the Aotearoa that I know and yeah. it's certainly not the world that I, I'm I'm kind of familiar with and so I think it's it's kind of um, it's taking it's taking you know the world that I know and finding the drama and the inherent beauty in, in the world that I know, as opposed to imposing something which feels unnatural on, on the world that I know. You know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Car chases, explosions, uh, daredevil stunts, that's sort of my background. 
but I acknowledge your point there, Musha. I understand that. No, like I said, there's a there's there's always a place for it, Peter. And I feel like I just feel like I'm not the right person to do it. I feel, <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel this. I feel there's certain people who can, and and I mean, you're obviously one of those people. It's um, yeah. It's uh, I mean, it, it's only a matter of time, eh? Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's when is when is that coming out, mate? When is that film? When is, when is that? Um, geez, I've forgotten the name. What was it called? Your oh, one. Which one? Fish and chips. Uh, uh, no, not that one. Uh, the the the. Oh no, we'll, we'll come. I'll, I'll, I'll remember it. I'll remember it. Uh, it's been um, caught up in development yeah. hell at the moment. <laughs> Script rewrite. Street, so. <laughs> the networks couldn't see the beauty of it, and I didn't want to sell out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I wanted um, and then spoiler alert. I've um, seen uproar. Sorry, I missed the first 10 minutes because of a meeting at work. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I've seen that, Rob, but you haven't, Luke. No. I hope you don't mind. We'll, we'll no, absolutely. Dive into it. Um, I remember you told me about it when I heard about it, um, and it mentioned the Springbok tour in Strato. I thought, man, that's a really massive part of our history. Mm. Um, but watching it, it was very much the social background rather than focusing on the tour. But mm. what? Um, why did you choose that? But this was adapted, eh? This uh, this film, the the screenplay was adapted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is there was a, there is a bit of a story to the backdrop of the background of the of the of the film, and it probably makes sense if I kind of just go through that a little bit. The yeah, yeah. I, so it was a story that I, I kind of co-directed. Um, the 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 story began with my co-director Paul Middleditch, uh, with his story um, as a as a you know basically based around kind of um, loosely on on his own. Um, Kind of uh, teenagehood uh, growing up um with you know during the springbok tour he was a kid who struggled to fit in he he, um, he had his battles at school and i think it was just this idea of, of setting a story a coming of age story against the backdrop of something which in many ways was a coming of age for our country um and that that, that was kind of that was the the essence of the story um long story short Gillian Dennison um uh expressed interest they they asked him to read for a um what was another role in the film? Um, he expressed interest in being in the lead role, and uh, and obviously with Julian kind of stepping that lead role, a young Māori boy, it, it shifts things significantly, you know. And um, that's that's where I kind of came on board. Um, and so yeah, I was, was looking at the script and seeing, oh, you know, there's a lovely foundation there, but you know, just through the very fact of of placing a young Māori boy um, in in that role in that lead role. With that kind of backdrop because it's such a complex time for for new zealand um the story was going to change significantly so you know ultimately it was a, it was a kind of a full rewrite of the story um maintaining the the essence of 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 what had been um kind of put in place but you know ensuring that you know that that all of those all of those um influences at that time you know that that we did justice to them i think the last thing we wanted to be is it's it's a really tricky balance because you want you want to tell a story that's first and foremost that that is um got a good heart to it and is entertaining but you you know you don't you, you've got this backdrop of a very significant time in our history and you don't want to do you don't want to be flippant about it you know you don't want to um just brush over it lightly um and so it was about ensuring that that backdrop as much as it wasn't the point of the story it was the backdrop that that we acknowledged it and um you know whilst we had kind of our country was split in half um 
you know, through, you know, many, many people obviously were protesting what was happening in, in South Africa. Others felt that politics and sport should be um, separated. But for Māori, I think for many Māori, there was that kind of slight confusion and, and a cruel irony in the fact that many people were protesting what was happening in South Africa, but weren't necessarily as aware of the issues that were being faced by Māori within our own country, you know. And yeah. um, I think that um, that element, whilst you don't ever want that, that element to weigh the story down, you don't want to overburden the story with with the political or the societal kind of side of things, you want to acknowledge it, you know, because it's a, it's, it's a catalyst for our, our, our young fellows' journey, you know. Yeah. I think, too, it seemed to me that there are other layers in that, too. One is um, a Māori boy down south at that time in the 80s. Dineen, mm. and then also at a boys' uh, church school. Yeah, you know, so Maori boy church school in Dunedin in the eighties. Yep. There's a whole lot of other levels going on there. You no, know, the there are, there, there, there really are, and and that that's the thing. I think again, that's the balance you had to strike. It's that, um, you know, certainly like, you know, colonization has affected Māori across across Aotearoa in, in very similar ways, you know, but at the same time, um, the effect, the specific effect it's had on from iwi to iwi, from hapu to hapu is, is different, you know, and so the effect of colonization on, on kaitahu, on ngātahu, um, is a very specific one. And um, and it was really important to, to, to me, to, to us, that um, when, when it came to writing the story, we're not writing just a Māori boy. He's a Māori boy of, of Kaitahu ancestry. And and the story that we're telling is set very, is grounded very firmly in that world. And, you know, so we had a huge amount of support. Um, our, our producer, Angela Cutt, um, uh, no Ngāti Paraoya, she's, um, she, she, she liaised beautifully with um, the mana whenua down in um, Otaka, who, um, who, who, who couldn't have, you know, and, and like, what it comes down to is, is without their support, we had no film. Um, they 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 supported us from at script stage, at casting stage. They, um, you know, the members of of the of the um, of the Apu, um, composed and um, and performed Haka in our film. Um, they were they were they were they were engaged in every aspect, and yeah, yeah without their support, it was um, you know the, the film never would have would have happened. You know? I noted that in that haka they perform in the protests. I can just hear the mitu of the reo there. Um, yeah. Toroka, toroka titaha and, and the kai. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was a pretty special thing. And, and probably the most emotional screening for me was when we took it down to Otaka, down to Otipoti, and um, shared it with um, with not just um, not just uh, mana whenua, but, but with um, all of the people of Dunedin. But having you know, seeing their, their response and seeing the, the, the pride and, and uh, you know, the, you know, just the, the have, having their, their meta um, up on screen and, and having yeah. it, seeing it, seeing it celebrated was, um, it was a, a very special thing. And, and like, I, I played a small part in, in being involved in that, but take a huge amount of pride in, um, in playing some small part in, in, in allowing that to happen, you know. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. So we uh, you had had huge amount of support from um, uh, Paulette Tamati Elif and and um, and uh, Kormini Cassidy were um, yeah just just huge huge. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, almost like train spotting too for me. There were just other little little moments. Um, one was that reference to Parihaka on the street that the school's on about mm -hmm. how the, 
um, Te Fiti and Rongomai and those prisoners who got taken down there built mm. those streets. Mm. And then there's a shot where on the library, the book there is Ask That Mountain. Mm. So yeah, it's a good it's, way um... of sort of just putting in little, just little, um, not nods, that sounds a bit too flippant, but important aspects of history that maybe we don't hear a lot about. Yeah, and and I think like it is a kind of a train spotting thing for me. Like I, I do, I, I you know I love putting those things in there, and and I, I guess the way I see it is that if you don't pick up on those things, it's it's yeah it's okay. You know you can still enjoy the film, but if you do, then then it just adds another layer and 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 a, and a depth to the the film that that um that 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 I love to have. You know that that is a really important thing to have, and you know like all of those aspects. You know the um you know, Marty Hill and, and Dunedin, that, that's kind of where those kind of lines came from. As much as it's a fictional story, a fictional school, um, tapping into those kinds of, um, you know, uh, that history is, is um, super important to me. Um, and I, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to kind of do too much in the way of, um, I know you haven't seen it yet, um, Luke, but um, but I will anyway. Um, there was a, there's a scene with a, um, you know, where there's a fire, and um, that was a scene again talking to Mana Whenua that that really was was a pretty triggering moment for them. And what what happened? And like I think it was around this around 2007, I think. So it was it was after 1981, but in Dunedin, um, around the same time, the Ngātahu who were um, uh, were going through the process of making claims towards the tribunal for um, for land loss. Um, uh, to uh, uh, an, an urban marae and I think it was a, an office run by Ngāte who were both burnt down. Um, uh, Otaka marae itself, they, they attempted to burn it and then I think, um, you know, I think someone someone had graffitied on the buildings, um, you know, enough's enough or something. And um, and, and those people were never never found or, or caught but like oddly enough, when I when I wrote that part, um, I had no idea. I didn't know about that that aspect. Um, and so, whilst you're trying to insert some things in there, some of those things that have come out, it's it's that truth is stranger than fiction thing. Um, and yeah, they said it was a as a pretty um pretty yeah pretty triggering, pretty moving um, tie, uh, uh, scene for them to kind of uh, experience because yeah, it happened to them, you know. Yeah. I've been thinking, um, Hamish, about trying to connect this text to teachers and to audiences. I think the young people would really enjoy this film and learn a lot. But to me, I also, it immediately made me think of Merita Mita's Patu. Have you seen, do you know Patu, Luke? No. So Merita Mita, um, pioneer Māori filmmaker, but she basically recorded a lot of the Springbok tour protests. Oh, yeah. And then put this footage together into this documentary called Patu. Right, put it on the watch list. And then, yeah, this I just thought if you are a young person watching this film, for example, that then leads you to Patu and leads you into a whole lot of other stories about why that time period was important. And so, as you say, it's a fictional story. And it's kind of a that term social history almost with a bigger backdrop going on, but it's a real window into that sort of time. Oh, it, it absolutely is, man. And, and like, um, like that, that archival footage that we used um, in the film, the majority of that came from Patu. Um, so, so that archival stuff that we've used at, at the Waikato protests, um, that's all. That's all Patu. So, yeah, that that link is a very close one for us. Um, 
it was a you know it's it a you know very influential in, in terms of you know like i i watched it a couple of times while i was kind of doing the rewrite um again i guess it illustrated all of those um the complexities of their time and and i think one thing that did, did show up and it's one thing that, that's really important to me is that it, it also like you, you don't ever want to like for lack of a better phrase you don't ever want to paint things in black and white terms like everyone had their reasons everyone had their reasons for um feeling how they felt about 1981 and whilst you know um like i, I look at my parents and, and we grew up uh, you know in a rural area where both my parents were against the tour but you know we were surrounded by people who were just about the rugby and but you know we we've maintained really close relationships with those people we you know we're still you know very you know we're still very tight and i like i look at my family and i'm sure you guys would have the same stories but like i had two uncles and my granddad went to the games um uh you know like everyone's got their reasons and i think even when you look at the police you know members you know you had, had some people protesting and other people who were um had their you know had family in the, in the red squad and and it's it's one of those things where you don't ever want to kind of as much as there's there's always going to be people who are completely bad and people who are completely good but i think most of us are made up of bits and pieces of everything and i think trying to convey that and not create or demonize one side or another that's important you know i think because i think for the most part as much as it sounds kind of a little bit airy fairy like i feel that most of us have more in common than, than differences in that so <laughs> It's trying to, it's trying to, yeah, it's trying to, um, yeah, represent that. Yeah, yeah. I can see why the um, the Shortland Street scripts may have fallen through or been re-edited. You were too too nice to these villains that were supposed to be painted about these awkward love triangles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think that, that that's I think that's that's one of many reasons why I wasn't very good at Shortland Street. I think. Right? <laughs> Maybe they just went really for what you were bringing. <laughs> they were really yeah another one that yeah. came up for me is um i think there's just a line there but it's the older brother in the film and i think he says to that principal or the rector that they're only just a rugby player to them mm. so also mm. there's the time there the 80s the moldy kids at those schools are if you're good at rugby that's the classic adage oh yeah you're accepted at those yeah. schools yeah mm. Mm. If you weren't you were sort of gone by fifth form <laughs> it was always sort of the way yeah yeah um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no it is, it is what it is i remember I, was, I forget who i was chatting with and i've forgotten his name unfortunately but he he's a teacher david you guys have probably know his name he's a teacher in um Otara. Uh, but he does a lot of work creating like he's, he's someone you should probably speak to but he's um he he, he writes books which are aimed aimed primarily at, at, at Instagram Marty. oh yeah hey so no, so one one thing that he was saying like i remember him talking about for for a long time he feels that uh you know Samoan Tonga and pacifica they've kind of just been seen as as um as bodies as as bodies that can be used for sport you know have strengths in those areas but what he wants to do and it's what he's done with his books is he's wanted to um kind of like uh you know showcase the someone doctors the the, the tongan lawyers those kinds of things um i, I think it, it is that, that feeling that you know it, it's very easy to stereotype or, or or kind of um place people in a box and, and i guess when you look at, at uproar our lead character 
whilst you may come from a rugby family, like rugby's of very little interest to him. Um, I, like, I do remember also another thing that that kind of has stuck with me. Taika Waititi said, um, you know, for a long time, Māori have either been portrayed as once were warriors or the blue people in Avatar. And I, I love I love that quote because I feel I feel like it's just that feeling like, you know, just like any other culture or any community, we're all in this very wide spectrum of, of types of people. And in no stage do you ever want to assume something about someone you, you've got to get to know them first and, and that's what that's 101 of teaching eh? you, you, you get to know the person first before you um you know before you start before you start teaching you know that, that the most effective teaching is is from um when you when you have a have that loyalty you have that um that understanding of one another you know? yeah. i think that's what i like about um anything i like about the film is it does yeah it just moves away from those stereotypes um you know the the big tough guy or the 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 profound things and deep things they talk about it's not that film at all even though there are those moments and, and um Bellberg's sort of the same thing it's just like really ordinary people in ordinary settings with subtleness i i mm. I, I, don't, I think that the prof like that's the thing i think the profound stuff happens between the talk like i yeah. think i think the talk the, the talk that generally we're not great at expressing ourselves um i think that's a new zealand trait you know but I, I like the idea of yes, every now and again, and, and like an uproar, there are moments where people do express themselves eloquently. But certainly in Balbur, that was the case. I think you, you, I don't know any farmers who are able to express themselves super fluently and super eloquently. But it doesn't mean that they're any any less intelligent or any or any less emotional than anyone else. You know, it's just the way they communicate, the way they they express themselves is in different ways. And so that feeling that. The, the, the moments sometimes happen in the silence or the moments sometimes happen between the chats. Um, that, that's, that's, you know, that's life, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I don't, I don't know any Māori who sit around the dinner table talking about the Treaty of Waitangi. It's just a classic dinner time talk, but it's just not the case. <laughs> oh, good morning, What's going on? What happened today? What are we doing tomorrow? You know? Yeah, yep. all of that. All of that, yeah. Um, yes, totally agree. And then I think it's, you know, there's that balance, isn't it? Because you don't ever want to, you know, a film could be incredibly boring if all you talked about is is what you're having for dinner and things like that. But you also don't want to steer it so far into a world where everything they're saying feels like it's it's just the mouthpiece for the director or the mouthpiece for the writer, you know? Yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel it's a, it's a cop-out and it's also a... Um, it's just it's an easy out as a writer to Absolutely. just put exactly what they're thinking into their into their mouth i think you've got to you've got to you've got to work harder for it you know because that's Absolutely. that's not real life you know yeah little other thing i like the soundtrack a couple of classic uh, yeah, bangers right. in there uh brass and Bob, the pretenders and leo say you make me feel like dancing yeah, and, and honestly, man, um, yeah, stumbling in, stumbling in by um, Susie Quattro. Um, yeah, and actually, one one place that we went to, man, um, one one place that was really really useful when it came to like deciding what would be quite useful is there's a really good Spotify um, Spotify playlist called um, you might have come across it. It's called Maori Maori Shed Party. Yeah, S H E D Maori Shed Party. You know that one. And I think, actually, I think Stumbling In is the first one on that. 
And so it's it's just it just brings back a lot of memories when you start going through. You think, oh yep, there's that, there's that, there's that. Um, yeah, so so a lot of the ideas came from that playlist. <laughs> um, but then but then there's that little little kind of getting a little bit of um, you know, like we've got a mini driver's character who's um, who's kind of more into her, uh, you know, her um, uh, kind of folk singers from England and trying to find a way to work Troy Kingy into playing a, a folk singer, a, a Nick Drake version of, of a song with an acoustic guitar was, that, that was a, that was a bit of a fanboy moment for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's me. I just had, I've been at um, quite a bit of work, shot down the local cinema, so I missed about the first 10 minutes. Um, so I sort of, I feel I missed key things there and didn't see the Troy King in there, but I realized he was playing the father. Well, yeah, Troy, Troy was uh, never in the film other than in photos. Oh, okay. um, but it's another one of those little moments that blink and you miss it kind of thing. So, you know, you, you can, you can <laughs> blink, blink for 10 minutes and, uh, and, and you'll miss it. You know? I think he was actually having a nap. Um, <laughs> if you know, if you know uh, the afternoons are long. This is a really slow start, Hamish. I'm, I'm going to have a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a moist. Yeah. <laughs> I had only seen uh, the trailer pop up on YouTube, to be honest, and I clicked on it and I was like, yeah, this is going to be a mean film. And we've worked a little bit about um, some protest stuff with uh, looking at Mr. G and like how he's been decolonizing these signs and, and working on the pronunciation of uh, names and things for our, our local area. I was like, oh, what, what, what an opportunity to actually get some of our students along to see this this film, which you've almost just given away all anyway so but um we're gonna head off with just over 200 year 10 so they're about 14 to 15 uh year olds in a week um taken down on the bus on two little screenings man i can see, see just through the chat or petty's poor chat your great chat around a whole lot of different things we can hit around identity and uh just our stories of our past was there ever in your mind when you started putting this together about, okay, I know you said you, you enjoy telling stories, but did you ever foresee like the impact you might have on these younger generations coming through and what you might get them to think about or consider? Yeah, I mean, it's a real good question. Firstly, man, that's awesome that you guys are taking all your kids there. That's, that's really great. And I think I've certainly heard from a number of teachers who either either going to do it next year, um, you know, use it, use it with their own classes or have already gone to it. But um, did I kind of see it? Like I, I don't, I don't know. Um, like I, I think, like I, I probably one thing that I, I try not to do when I'm um, kind of writing a film is is think too much about the effect or the impact that it'll have. I think, I think that you know you can't help but have yourself come out when you're mm. writing or when you're directing. And I think that the fact that I'm, I'm a teacher. I've, I've taught all my life, and and I still see myself more as a teacher than a filmmaker, to be honest. I think you can't help but have that part of you or the things that are important to you kind of come out. And, and so when I look at that film, like, yes, it's, it's about, about Māori, but it's also about people who don't fit in. It's also about, about you know, like I, I look at teachers and look at the, you know, the Reese Darby character and I think, well, you know, it's one thing, I, I feel that the greatest value that you can have or you can add as a teacher is just a desire to get to know a kid Mm. Um, and, and I think it's often overlooked. I think, um, 
you know, content knowledge is one thing, but if you have content knowledge yep. and no understanding of, it, of, of a child, then, then there's no point. There's no point. You're not going to be able to give anything to them, you know? So I think you can, you can get by with, you, you can, you can get through a lot of, of issues if you have a real desire to, to understand someone. Yeah. Um, and that can be any, that can be any teacher of, of from any, any kind of walk of life, you know? And I think that, so those, those parts of, of the way I see teaching, those parts are always going to kind of seep in there. And the idea of, of empathizing with the outside or empathizing with um, the kids who, who don't necessarily find a way in, that, that's, as teachers, that's easy, eh? That, that's something that you always, they're the, they're the kids you always, do, you know, they're the kids you always want to kind of support. And so, yeah, like, like I said, like, as much as I don't necessarily think, okay, this is going to have the impact or, or this is something that I want to have happen, it's just through, you know, through the things that are important to you, those things eventually are just going to come through. I think it's really important because I don't think um, there's any young fella out there or young lady out there uh, who's ever felt entirely secure the whole time. I think a lot of us, well, I think all of us go through a period of time where we second guess ourselves and who we are and, and who we should be or whatever. And we always feel on the outside at some point in time. Um, so I think regardless of who it's targeted at, I, mean, I think everyone feels that way at some point. Just going no, on I mean, your... That's... Sorry. No, you go. It was more no, important. No, I think it's it's that, it's that it is absolutely that feeling of of um. I, I I do I would like to think that everyone would be able to find a connection to the story, whether that's through you know Josh's um struggle to find identify with his Māori tanga or or with his, his struggle to fit in at school or his desire to perform in a place that is all about sport or all of those things. I think I'd like to think there's. And uh, there's a there's a way in for everyone, but you're absolutely right. Every one of us has at some time felt um, felt like we don't quite belong, that we don't quite know where our place is. That's a very that's a universal feeling, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Totally. I was just thinking. Uh, you talked about before the importance of these teachers having these strong relationships, regardless of whether you're um, expert on the, the curriculum. I know that you two went to school together and I was just about to ask which um, of your teachers might have stood out. I know they're probably different experiences for both of you. You're, you seem to be quite onto it. Petty seems to be a bit more of a mischief maker. <laughs> probably not going to say name the same teachers, but are there some teachers that have stood out to you in the past who you like solid? I would always look upon them and re remember them as people who I had a, a distinct connection with. Well, yeah, like, well, first of all, so me, me and Petty went to university together. We didn't go to school together. So that's probably, that, that, that's probably where, um, you know, where Petty's struggles probably um, have, have manifested is, is the fact that he's... <laughs> <laughs> um, right, he's been telling but, people like, at school that you went to school together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like a claim to fame. Think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, like I, I do, uh, like, I do know that for me, this sounds really, it sounds kind of a bit naff, but like I was taught by my parents, um, both my parents are teachers. And um, they, so they taught me like in, in secondary school, I went to an area school, which goes kind of goes from year one all the way up to year 13. So I was a tiny, tiny country school. And um, and whilst I had a number of, of great teachers, you, you find lovely stuff in every teacher. I think that's the way I kind of, I approached it. But like, I, I just remember one thing my dad said um, when I started teacher training is that um, he just said a kid's got to know that you've got their back. And that's something that's always stuck with me. Um, a kid's just got to know that, you know, that that you 
you understand them, that you care about them, and that whilst they will, let, they'll, they'll, there'll be times they might let you down, and there are times they might be a bit, a, a bit annoyed or frustrated by them. They know that the next day you'll turn up, and it's you, you're going to start again. You, you're not going to yeah. pull the pin on them, you know. And I think um, that feeling of of not, you know, of of not not giving up or or not just kind of thinking that I'm, I'm I'm done with this. This is too difficult. That that's that's such an important thing to have. And and whilst it makes, from a teaching point of view, when you have kids who who possibly have have more struggles than others, whilst it might make your year. Um, a hell of a lot more tiring. Um, I, I feel that the the worth and value that you get from having a positive impact there far outweigh any struggles yeah. that you have throughout the year. And, and it's that feeling like, like the, the way I see it is is that you know it's it's a massive privilege to be a teacher. Like it's it's a you know it's it's a responsibility and, and a privilege, and you've got an obligation to give this kid everything. And um, I know that we all at different times feel headed and tired and waiting for the end of the term and things like that. But, you know, it, it's, it's important to remember that, you know, whilst we all work hard, I remember someone saying like, yeah, every, yeah your teachers do work hard, but everyone works hard. <laughs> and, you know, like, I think it's, it's not as though, you know, we, you know, we, we're lucky. We're lucky. We get to work with kids every day. And, and I think it's that, that thing of, of not feeling that, that we, we're owed anything. Um, mm. We we're in a position of responsibility and and um, and a position of privilege that we need to take advantage of. You know, um, yeah, that's what I said.